listener production. If you think about your life pre-kids, what is the first thought or feeling that comes to mind? Free, um, indulgent in some ways, rich, always another door opening and endless possibilities. Today on Feed Play Love, we're revisiting one woman's trip into the past post-kids. Feed Play Love with Siobhan Hunt. Rachel Coops is probably best known for her work on Play School. You may also know her as a yogi if you've done one of her classes or as an author if you've read one of her books. What you may not know is that in her 20s, Rachel also trained at a clown school in Paris. Now, a few decades later, she's written about that experience, returning to her old stomping ground. Her book is called Paris for Beginners, a memoir about love, adventure and finding yourself in the city of lights. Hello, Rachel. Hi. I have to start with my most pressing question. What exactly is a clown school? I know there's a little bit of confusion because I think we all picture someone with a red nose. Oh, and, 100%. Right? Yeah. So there is a teacher who's quite infamous called Philippe Gaulier. So the school that I went to was Ecole Philippe Gaulier. And Philippe trained incredible actors like Emma Thompson, Sasha Baron Cohen, Roberto Benigni. And the thing that they have in common, I guess, is they're creators. He trains creators. They're not just performers. They also create their own work. But there is a sense of joy and pleasure and mischief that is unmistakably Philippe's mentality in school, which is centred around clown. And clown is the last module that we do in the full year. So it's really, essentially, it's a theatre school. But underpinning all of the modules, whether you're doing melodrama or Greek tragedy or Shakespeare and Chekhov, you start with a module called le jeu. And le jeu in French is to play or the game. So it's finding a game. It's finding pleasure in everything and anything you do. Uh, Like the kid who has the ball, you know, mommy, look at me, I've got the ball. That's the pleasure he things that we we need to have as performers on the stage. And then it ends with clown because once you find the pleasure, you have to learn to fail. Oh, dear. (laughs) Clowning is, it's to find your vulnerability and your sensitivity when you fail. That all sounds so terrifying to me. (laughs) Why would you want to do that, Rachel? (laughs) I did think that several times when I was there. (laughs) Trust me. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Wow. (laughs) That is so incredible. Okay, so that's when you were there. Mm. How did you even apply for this? How did you envision this is where you wanted to be? So when I was little, I lived in a street next to um, some other families that went to the same school. Our parents all worked. And we had a nanny who would take us to school or pick us up. And like a whole group of us. And I was obsessed with her because she came to school dressed up as a clown. (laughs) She was an English actress. Wow. And she had studied with Gaulier. And I did a a very brief workshop with him in London. And when I did my first, you know, travel, the, the classic Australian going to Europe travel adventure and... 
I knew I wanted to study with him. And I also had had this weird kind of obsession for Paris since I was little. No one really knows where it came from, um, apart from learning French in preschool and so maybe the language, maybe, oh, there's another country. And it was when I was in my late 20s and I'd been acting for almost a decade professionally, but I'd never done an acting degree. I'd done an economics degree. <laughs> always felt like a bit of a fraud. Uh, fair enough. I mean, you, know? you wouldn't have been, but, but economics acting, they do seem quite yeah, different. very different. <laughs> and I think I, I was waiting to be caught out, like she can't really act. And I loved comedy and I wanted to be a great comedy actor. So I, I applied for a scholarship and found and got the scholarship and found myself, you know, late 20s when I guess a lot of my friends were starting to get real jobs and, you know, <laughs> do grown-up <laughs> things. And I sort of started again. And, you you, and not only did you start again, you were like, see, guys, I'm going to go to a clown school yes. while you get serious. While I'm going get... to Paris to a clown school. <laughs> when you put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the interesting thing about that dream of Paris, and I've known friends of mine to have a dream of Paris and, and have ended up there and one of them still living there. Paris is a hard city. Mm, I mean, it's beautiful and romantic and all those things. But even when you visit it as a tourist, you can still know this is a hard city, particularly when you don't speak French. Mm. I'm not sure, but was your preschool French still up to scratch when it you was arrived? not up to scratch <laughs> at all. And I'd done like six months at the Allianz Francais before I left. But I was a, you know, disaster. And there's, it's not just the language, the culturally... The French are so different and there's things that I love about all of the rules that they have because I'm a rule follower. There's so many rules <laughs> in France and I, I like that. But it's when you don't know the rules. So yes. what you're talking about is whether being a tourist and when you first start to live there. And look, don't get me wrong, I still to this day, just recently when I sent the invites out to, for the book launch and I said to my girlfriend Eileen who met her husband, one of my friends in Paris who came to visit me, they met, fell in love, got married. Wow. So I sent her the invite and said, are you guys coming? And she's like, well, Jan's waiting for his invite. You should know better. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so true. You have to, <laughs> the French are so, um, you know, conservative in some ways. Wow. If it's your party, you have to invite him or he's not going to come. So I'm like, oh my gosh, of course, still failing. Rachel's still failing. <laughs> you learned the lesson. I, yeah. The final lesson. But I don't. I'm like, <laughs> I still, every time I go back, I'm like, oh God, sorry. Yes, that's right. So I love the rules, but it is a, it is a challenging, it's a challenging place to be Paris. Yeah. For sure. And look, I mean, I, I must admit the reason why I brought you in was that whole idea of revisiting something in your youth after your life has changed so much. Mm. Obviously, everyone's lives change, but when you become a parent, it shifts in a particular way. I just realised that my passport expired in 2014 mm. and all the youngins in the office are like, oh my God, 2014? <laughs> I said, I had a baby in 2012. I wasn't going anywhere. Mm. So you kind of put your blinkers on, right? And, and your focus shifts to your child, to the responsibilities of being a parent. And yet we all had a life pre-kids and many of us would have had experiences or a life that is very different to the one we have now. So I'm intrigued about what it was like for you going back mm. 
because I looked up the meaning of nostalgia. It comes from the Greek word nostos, homecoming, and alga, pain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so was it, was it a painful experience going back? So there's a, a Welsh word, hiraeth. Mm-hmm. which can't be translated in English, but it's close to nostalgia. But here's how it's different. It is a time and place. It's very connected to place that you can't get back. And I think we all have that place, you know, a certain physical geographic, whether it's a different country or a suburb or, and you go there and you're immediately transported back, but you can't, none of us can go back. Uh, so when I went back, I don't know what I was expecting, but it was on the back of our lockdowns. It was the first flights, you know, Easter last year, the first flights that were kind of going overseas. I didn't even know if when I booked my ticket, if Australia's borders would be open. I just, I thought I'll try. We'll see what happens. And even the lead up to leaving, I was like, am I going to get COVID? Am I going to be allowed on the plane? Am I, you know... So the fact that I even left the country was a miracle. And it was the first time, like you say, it was 10 years. My son is 10. It was over 10 years. It must have been 11 or 12 years since I was away by myself, not for work, not for anything, but to be with, <laughs> with myself in a place that I know so well. And yet I've changed and the world's changed and Paris has changed. And it was kind of the flight itself was amazing because it was so felt the the anticipation and the excitement and when I landed that drive into Paris I was like oh my god I was in heaven but very quickly it descended (laughs) into days of anxiety because Mm. I have not had a moment to take stock of Mm. who I am now and where I've been and where I'm going and what I want from my life I haven't even thought about that because life has very obviously and rightfully been filled with responsibility and we're all doing our best given the circumstances that each one of us have as parents. And it's not that I don't love parenting and I, I, you know, I wrote an article about this recently and some people got so mad that I said, it was a line, you know, our weekends are filled with being unpaid Uber drivers for our kids. And True. Right. (laughs) But people got really upset about it. Like it's a privilege and our kids love it and we love it. It's not that I don't love all of that, but it's when I remember the Rachel riding a bike along the Seine. I'm sorry. Those people make me (laughs) so angry because come on, you can't, like we are in living in service to our children Mm. and we love them. We don't have to love all the bits of it, mm. you want to ask those people, so you're telling me you enjoy cleaning the toilet after mm. them as well because that's just the same as driving around in an Uber car. Of course it's a privilege to have kids. Mm. But it's not to say you don't have to love every minute of that. No, and I think it's just it's remembering who you were before all of that. And I guess the dichotomy of that for me was it was the that interesting thing of I don't want to be the Rachel riding her bike because she also had her own set of problems, (laughs) (laughs) right? Yes. Um, Yes. You know, the drama of our 20s. I look back and I go, the drama. We were really grappling with so much and as wonderful as it was and the opportunities we had were, the, the flip side was there was still, there was also a lot of disappointment and, um, heartbreak and, insecurity and not knowing who we were still. And I think 
you know, they, they call it Saturn return. The end of your 20s is this time when Saturn appears for the first time since you were born in your birth chart. And it's the, the moment from a planetary perspective that we step over into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to take a moment and go back and go, because since then, really, and not just since having kids, but I feel like since you you make pretty solid choices in your 30s. Unless you're given reasons to really take stock, most of us don't. And all the conversation I'm having with my Gen X girlfriends at the moment is all around this, like, is this it? Mm. And who am I? And am I content? And whether your marriage is rich and fulfilling and survived or whether you've chosen to have a baby by yourself or whatever the circumstance, still going, oh, okay, I think I got all the things. <laughs> yes. Right? And looking back at that time of life when we didn't know where we were going to be. No, you know? and we didn't think about it. We thought we were immortal. I mean, I think the other thing, and I, I suspect you did mention this in this article that you're referring to, um, we're also at a time of life where our parents are getting older mm. and we're looking after our parents and we're looking after our kids. And I definitely, for me, seeing my parents get older and get sick, it's the first time I've really appreciated my own mortality. Mm. I've been very lucky not to have any health scares myself, not have to confront that. But at this time of life, seeing that going, and also looking back, right, looking back to our 20s, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, it was a long time ago, but still... It was only 15 or so Mm. years, a bit more than that. And then you look into the future and go, okay, so if that feels really short and that Mm. was 15 years and the next 15 years, what does that mean for me? What's that going to be? And I think the people that define themselves as being only a parent who don't have that conflict of who am I now at some point are really going to flounder when their children leave home. I mean, we all are. We're all going to flounder when they leave. Absolutely. But if you don't start thinking, who am I beyond a mother or a father, whatever it might be, then you're going to really have a lot to deal with, I think. Yeah. And I think it reminded me too that as much as I, of course, I I obtained so much purpose and meaning from my relationship with G, with my son, I had... Just I obtained just as much meaning back then from so many other things. And the richness of creative experience, you know, being in the four walls of a theatre school and the, the depth of friendship that you could form because there was time and you went through this incredible life-changing growing up, coming of age, second coming of age really in, in my late 20s in a foreign country. Those friendships, are, they're just as meaningful as the relationship I have with my son and my parents. And I think sometimes we, particularly for women who, for whatever reason, haven't had kids, have chosen not to or or can't, I'm constantly saying to them, please don't feel like you don't, it doesn't mean that you don't have a life of meaning and purpose. Because if Rachel, that Rachel back then hadn't, life would have been different, but I still would have had profound meaning and experiences that gave me a sense of wonder that parenting does, right? And mm. and learning the lessons that you can only learn through being a parent. Potentially I could have learned them in another way. So yeah, I agree. I think it's and I and I also look back and the only thing I wish is 
I wish we knew how quickly time went. So yes. you could just sip on that wine a little slower oh, yes, and yes. walk by the Seine and gaze at it a bit longer instead of being in my head with all of the, you know, drama. And drama, <laughs> of course, of course. What was it like when you were back walking mm. by the Seine? Did you... Were you able to sit and drink that glass of wine? Because another thing I think we do as parents is we don't know how not to be productive. Mm. You know, because time is so precious and scarce, you're like, if if I have a minute, don't, I, I, there's that thing I need to do for school or I have to remember to book in that thing and, oh, I have to unpack the dishwasher or whatever it might be. Were you able to just sit and enjoy your glass of wine? I really was. The first few days, definitely not. And because I knew I wanted to write something about that time of my life and I was kind of nutting things through my brain and I realised very quickly that that was not going to happen in that time, that I really needed time to do nothing and I needed time to, like I walked some days for hours and hours and hours, like six hours just across Paris and back to all my favourite places and I sat down and had countless, you know, little ca- coffees and little cafes and glasses of wine. And my, I had a girlfriend come from LA to, she was like, I want to see Paris with you because we never got to do that. And she was so present from afar when I lived there. And I said, that's great, but I really want the day to myself because I haven't had that. So we would meet in the afternoon. We would meet at two or three, and then I might show her a part of my Paris. But I really needed that time by myself for the first time in 10 years because I knew also I wasn't going to get it again anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I knew it was precious. And once I lost the panic about, oh, I should be, and the anxiety of what do I do with, you know, and being so geographically far from G as well, there was something in that, that lack of control, that physical distance that once I, you know, unpacked that and got through that and was like, it's totally fine. He'll be fine. I'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) And checked that the cat was okay because I was worried about him. (laughs) And I was like, okay, we're all fine. Um, It actually, yes, that was like my, my work there was to go, how much nothing can I do? Like how much of the relishing of these walks can I be really present for? And having the luxury of being with someone from clown school and I hadn't seen her for, you know, close to two decades and go to the theatre together to watch a, you know, four hour theatre show. Wow. Out of Paris and to take time to get there and, you know, walked through the gardens that I didn't often have time to, when I lived there and if I went to the theatre out at Vincennes, I wouldn't necessarily walk through the, the Bois de Vincennes, the gardens, I would get the bus because it was quicker or it was too cold or, yeah. so the weather was perfect and I, you know, luxuriated in these walks. And then to have that expansive time where we just talked all night. It was amazing and caught up on, and interesting to see too, you know, she lives in London. She's had such a different experience from me. She's a little bit younger. So her, her kids are a little bit younger and you just go, but we're all grappling with the same kind of stuff right now, which is, yeah, who am I? Who was I? Uh, and I, I think too, post pandemic, we've all gone back to, let's call it, you know, the new normal or whatever, but everyone's busy again. Yes. We're so also busy. busy. Yep. And 
because we stopped doing that in this particular form, I think there was a different busyness for a lot of people yep. for a couple of years. But I think, again, that's why so many of us are going, oh, God, I, don't, I, I can't. I don't, I don't want to. I don't know what it should look like, but I don't mm. want it to look like this chaotic anymore. I don't want all of the, the fight or flight being my, my norm. Um, yeah. But like you say, I don't, the, the other thing is I don't have the answers because we, we can't go back to that time. We do have these responsibilities. Our parents are getting older. Petrol's not getting any cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is not. <laughs> so we have to keep balancing all these responsibilities and somehow, and but this is the most important thing, and I promised myself after that trip last year, and I have managed to do it. I'm proud of myself. I've managed to do it for the most part. I'm like, you've got to find a way to hold on to joy. Like you have to find a way to hold on to, even if it's just in the tiny moments, in the intensity of getting out the door for school or coming home or, and it can be your way too. Mm. I, I know that for, and my quality time with G is not like other people's with their kids and just, but to find those pleasurable moments, because I don't want to be the constantly stressed parent anymore. And and also there are our children if those, again, if those 15 years went quickly mm. and we've seen them change so much, you know, it's like, well, if I don't stop and smell the roses, to use a cliche, mm. when am I going to? And I agree that part, the part about finding joy, I actually said that to myself this year because last year was really hard. At the end of the year, it was really hard for my family because my father got sick very quickly. It was confronting and shocking and awful and all those things. Mm. And I came into the new year. Thankfully, he is steady now, but he's not who he was. And I came into this year going, you know what I want is I want to invite joy into my life. I need more joy because I was, I'm so grateful that he's not as bad as he was last year. But my life was Kids, work, dad. And being with my father when he was unwell, there was no joy in that. Mm. There was just pain and sadness. And so you, the idea that we get so, as I think mothers in particular, and as women, we know that women carry most of the caring role, whether it's with our elderly parents or with our young children, we know that that's what we do. Um, Caring can become really serious, mm. but especially with kids, you can lighten up a bit and go, let's just have some fun. Let's mm. sing in the car or do something stupid. Mm. And also most kids get very embarrassed of their parents at a certain age <laughs> and that can be a lot of fun. <laughs> I think the, the, the wonderful contradiction of all of that though is that even when I was there by myself mm -hmm. and my goddaughter who's 12... We, you look, I'd look at the menu and I'd go, oh, gee, would love that. Yeah, like, of course. You can't, or you'd see a kid's menu and go, oh, the, wow, this is great. It's got a kid's menu. And then I don't have a kid to feed it to. But if, <laughs> if the kid was there, you'd be arguing with them about, no, you can't have my phone. And yes, I don't care that you're bored. And like, <laughs> right. So it's the wonderful contradiction that I'm like, oh, I wish he was here. And so even in his absence, being conscious to, to, 
to find joy in the being by myself, you know, yeah. but he doesn't, we don't have to be together for every experience. He's going to be infused in every experience anyway. <laughs> you don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. No. I don't have a choice. I found that really interesting actually, that even two weeks by myself, I was constantly going, oh, he'd love that. He'd love that. He'd love that. <laughs> it's hard to switch it off. So not everyone can go to, back to Paris or go to, I mean, look, you had a good reason. You were going to write a book in the end. But that break in particular, if you had to sort of distill the best parts, what were the best parts for you? If you could kind of package just those little moments and give it to someone and say, here, take these points. And when you have a getaway, this is what you need to include in your getaway for that pause, for that moment of reflection. What would those essential things be? I think to not have plans. <laughs> that was really important. I was very conscious because I had a lot of people to catch up with. And I was very conscious, particularly in those first few days, to not make a whole bunch of plans. Um, I think to, to do things that you really love, like for me back in Sydney, going to a theatre show for four hours would be, I'd really have to weigh up the the week, what's going on that week. I don't get to see as much theatre as I used to. So I made sure that I had those kinds of things in and, and I saw a lot of art. Like I saw so much art because I don't get to do that uh, when I'm home and it was, it's a place that has so much of it. Paris, for example, was, is a city that's just so rich with it. Mm. Um, I think finding a way to really switch off and I, I'm just thinking it from the perspective that because the time difference, Australia was asleep. Yes. <laughs> a lot of the time I was there. Yes. So if you don't have a time difference, potentially a way that you can completely switch off from life. I knew that G was with his dad. I knew he was safe. I knew he was happy. Yes. And once I knew all of those things, there was no need for him to contact me several times a day. And in fact, I left it in his court and said, whenever he wants to contact me, mm -hmm. totally free, but I'm not going to call or, um, and he called me twice in two weeks. It's <laughs> a little bit <laughs> devastated. <laughs> I was devastated, but it was actually really good for me because yes. because of the time difference, it was hard. And so there was this forced expanse of no responsibility. I do choose to stay in hotels when I can. I didn't the whole time in Paris. I couldn't afford it. <laughs> and I stayed at a friend's house. But I did the first few nights when I arrived because yes. I'm a big fan of not having to cook and clean and do all that stuff. And it doesn't have to be fancy hotels. When when Jay and I go away, it's often like really not. <laughs> One of his favourite places is the the little, this little motel we stayed in Albury when my sister lived there, and he still remembers it. He's like, "Can we go to that hotel in Albury?" I'm like, "That's hilarious." It's, it's not my favourite place, Jay, but if you want to go back, <laughs> so things like that for me. But I think it depends on what what is important for mm. you to reconnect to you. And the, all of those things were for me. Like I, the domestic stuff, I don't love cooking. I'm not a great cook. I don't love the domestic load. In fact, I really I find it stressful. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so taking that out of the equation and then the making sure that I don't have plans but I'm somewhere that I can do a lot of things that I love. And I think 
you know, the flip side of that is I think I would have been equally happy in nature had I gone, you know, into the woods for a week and found a way to to disconnect as well. And sorry, I just want to ask you, you say the woods for a week, would that be the shortest time you would sort of recommend? I mean, obviously it's within what you can afford and manage with your Mm. family, but I often feel like if you go away for a weekend, it's only when you're coming back, you're like, oh, but I was just starting to be okay with relaxing or having time or. Yeah. And I think it depends on the place. Like for me, maybe a week in the woods is enough, but (laughs) in a city, there's just so much, you know, you can see and do and that we don't get to to see and do. Yes. Um, I, this, I think two weeks is a bit of a magic time. Something happens for me whether I'm on holidays with the family or not, where the first week you kind of, you know, relaxing and unwinding and you start to have fun. And then the second week you actually relax because you've done all the things. And you, yep. And w- there's no pressure to try and it's almost like we pre- we get so much pressure to relax to make the most of the yes, holiday. Yes, <laughs> yes, totally get that. So I am, you know, I'm a big fan of two-week where you can, but I totally agree that it's not always possible. Mm. And sometimes a short, getting out of Sydney for a, a short time by yourself is just enough, like three days by yourself. I don't do that enough. I don't get the opportunity to do that, but I can, I often get, you know, and, I, and this is, again, it's so personal. Like for me, if my son, and this is probably for the single mums out there who do a similar kind of shared arrangement, there's times when I can make it work if if it's possible with work where I know he's not going to be and he's old enough now that I don't have to worry or be as close mm. and I maximise that time. Yeah. So if he's going away, for example, in July, I know he's going away for a week and a half. That'll be the longest time I've had since last April in a year. It's sacred. Yes. I'm really careful about what I do with that time, but I have no work booked in for that time because I know that I don't want to be in Sydney. I don't want to be working. It's my first opportunity. July will be my first opportunity in a year and a bit to take a moment for myself. And it's, I think it's part of that, and I will wrap up, but part of that is giving yourself permission mm. to do that for yourself. I mean, even when we're talking about it now, I can feel in myself, oh, I couldn't possibly do two weeks mm. on my own. Everyone would think I was so selfish and, you know, how would my husband react? Not well. Um, but if you reflect, if you take anything from yourself in your youth, we would take that for granted. Mm. We would say, of course I can go for two weeks. How else would I do it? So it's almost like giving yourself permission to take a little bit from the past and put it into your present and say, I can do this. I can do this for myself. I also say it as, I think I was not in a great place coming out of the pandemic, but Mm. I didn't realise it. Yep. And had I not taken that time for myself, I don't think I would have been able to do the work and being the parent that I have in the past mm. year and a bit, I yeah. think it was, you know, I, I, I end a pandemic and I had some health stuff going on. And so by the time I was about to leave, I was, I was, I was pretty exhausted. I was yeah. running on empty and pretty broken inside without really knowing it. So yes, two weeks is a long time, 
but in the scheme of things, that is it. it I is don't it? think it isn't. I, don't, I mean, I think my point is that as parents and mothers, we think it's a long time. Mm. And it is for us if we take it. Mm. It's not for them. It's no. not for our kids. It's not for our families. It's like a blink and they'd miss, you know, oh, you're back, are you? Except as you say, your husband might. Yeah, no, he gets a blink. <laughs> if he was listening to this, he'd be like, you're not going for two weeks. <laughs> but it is something we need to give ourselves permission for, I think. Rachel, I could talk to you all afternoon. We both know that. So I'm going to stop now. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. That's Rachel Coops. Her book is called Paris for Beginners, and you'll find links to where you can get a copy in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the listener app and don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.